With the improvements in technology, companies have also been working to create new and improved ways to secure our data and information from outsiders. However, this has led to hackers and others with malicious intent to other means of gaining access. Authentication is one of the most crucial areas of personal privacy where we leave ourselves open. These days a simple password can be breached, whether due to whole database leaks or key cracking software. This is where alternate methods of authentication come in. With improvements to processing power have also come the ability to secure your information in new ways. Software being developed allows analysis of human characteristics such as fingerprints and irises. This protects our accounts and online identities from being hijacked by malicious third parties. Authentication is the process of ensuring you have permission to access a particular asset or account. Typically we see this as knowledge factors being what you know. These have been in use for years and encompass things like user IDs, passwords, pins and security questions. More recently, possession factors being what you have and biometric factors being who you are have enabled greater layers of security to people using computer systems. Possession factors are a convenient solution because they are simpler to set up and use while still offering good security when used properly. However, they rely on a user maintaining possession of the object, something that's not always possible due to our human nature. Forms of possession factors include security tokens, one-time password tokens, smart ID cards, SMS one-time passwords, USB drives, and security certificates. Security tokens provide a code to the user which is entered into the system to authenticate. The token, often a small keyring or mobile app, creates a code which expires after a designated amount of time. This ensures that the server and device stay in sync. When generating a new code, the computer inside uses a mathematical algorithm or rule based on a time or counter. The server knows the rule used by the token device and is able to verify it against the code provided by the user. Smart ID cards have magnetically stored keys which are exchanged with a reader when swiped or presented. Often these cards are used in conjunction with a PIN or password to add another layer of security. It is possible for the software being used in the smart card reader to be reverse engineered, allowing someone to capture successful authentications from the server and be replicated. This would give the person access to protected information or locations. When combined with other forms of authentication, they can act as a key which is combined with the provided password or PIN. This is then sent to a server which checks the combination against the stored combination to ensure the key and password match up. Smart cards are also linked closely to your information, therefore it can be used to collect information about how you use the card. Examples include credit cards and store loyalty cards. The information collected may track your behaviour through the things you do, buy and where you buy. This provides privacy issues in that the information collected about usage can be released or obtained by nefarious third parties or law enforcement agencies. The Council of Europe has enforced some principles for effective smart card systems. They say that the collection of information must be for legitimate, specific and explicit purposes. The system should have an appropriate level of security depending on the technology and usage application. And finally, that the user should be alerted every time information is accessed from the cards. 
These principles protect users' privacy by ensuring that they know what information is being captured and how it is being used and when information is being used. This can be seen on a Visa PayWave and MasterCard PayPass systems where you get a prompt when the transfer is occurring. SMS one-time passwords provide a very convenient system for many people, as it allows possession factor authentication without the need for extra hardware. Most customers of digital systems have access to a mobile phone and are able to use their phones to help in the login process. The one-time passwords are time-limited and, as the name suggests, are only valid for one login, ensuring that they do not give an intruder access if an intruder were to gain access to the code after the fact. When the user logs into their account using their username and password, the server sends a message to their mobile phone with the one-time password. The user then verifies the password in the web or application interface, which is then verified by the server. Finally, the user gains access to their account. SMS passwords are mostly used alongside username and passwords because the user must specify their mobile number after setting up an account. This system is vulnerable to man-in-the-middle attacks, where attackers can intercept the text message before it reaches the user, giving them access. Smartphones are also insecure, being susceptible to viruses and malware, which may target such messages into the future. In actual implementations, however, an attacker would have to also know the user's sign-in details in order to gain access. Therefore, unless this is a dedicated attack where an attacker is working hard to actually breach the account, it's unlikely that they'll be able to gain access. So, man-in-the-middle attacks are unlikely for standard users. Security certificates work in a similar manner to keycards. A security certificate is a file stored on someone's computer which contains a key to authenticate with a specific service. When a user attempts to log in, the computer combines the certificate key with the password details and sends it to the server. The server then verifies whether it is correct or not. The issue with this system lies in that the certificate is not separate from the device which you access the account on. Therefore, if an attacker were to gain access to your device, even remotely, they'd have access to this factor. By capturing data from successful logins, then the attacker could reverse engineer the key to find your user ID and password. If granted administration privileges on a computer, accomplishable through malware, The attacker could extract the certificate from the system and access the service from a remote location. Biometric factors rely on the characteristics of our bodies. Some characteristics which are used are ear, eye, facial and fingerprint recognition, signature and voice verification. Ear recognition works on a visual analysis of the shapes that make up your earlobe. Iris and retinal recognition are again visual recognitions to analyse the patterns and structure of your iris or retina. Facial recognition uses a visual scan of the face to identify specific shapes and features of your face. Signature and voice recognition simply compare previous samples with the provided sample at the time of login. Biometric factors can be used in conjunction with smart card systems which store biometric samples and information for comparison. An application of this is inside the Australian Passport. The Passport contains a smart card style chip which stores the passport data as well as your passport photo. This gives customs officers access to the passport details not printed on the document as well as a better view of your photo so that they can more accurately verify your face. 
Each method requires samples which have been given at a previous time and associated with the account. When initiating biometric verification, you provide evidence, whether a visual scan or voice sample, which is then compared to samples which you have previously given. If abused, the storage of biometric information is a serious privacy risk because every iris scanner, for example, is activated by your same iris, similar to having the same password for everything or a key that opens all the locks. Biometric factors open up privacy and security risks. Facial recognition may be used without permission or knowledge of the people being recognised, especially when using conjunction with surveillance systems. Biometric systems may also reveal private health or religious information, which should not be recorded. As well as the fact that these systems can be reverse engineered by skilled attackers, providing information which allows them to gain access to the system. This is why it is important for biometric systems to be used with other authentication methods to ensure security. The overall security of a biometric system relies on the quality of the software and biometric sampling devices. Good quality components making up the system avoid issues such as reverse engineering of the software, software vulnerabilities, and false positives and negatives. Location and time factors are heavily common sense factors using people's location and time together. An example of a combination of the factors is if you use your credit card and your credit card company detects activity on your credit card from halfway across the world within just hours of you using it back home. Now you can't possibly travel from here to there in that little time. So the credit card company assumes that someone has compromised your account and gains access. Location factors can be used to match the GPS location of a separate device or the location from which you most frequently log in with the location from which you log in. Time factors can be matched to things like common login times or working or opening hours to prevent unauthorized account activity. Can society be promised our true privacy when companies are able to use the data generated by statistics companies and even their own companies for any purpose they deem necessary? Well, if it's statistical and truly de-identified, then those aggregates are not going to affect the individuals. Um, but the problem is that the data points, the big data is getting so sophisticated that I think you can re-identify people. And that is a lot of discussions in privacy land at the moment about re-identification and to what extent does big data impact on someone's privacy? To what extent can you truly de-identify it? So um, my answer is watch the space. <laughs> okay. So then we move on to security devices. Do authentication devices like SMSs sent to our phones or random number generator dongles, do they provide bulletproof protection for our information? I don't think anything is bulletproof because there's always going to be somebody who can break it. Um, so, but at the moment, they're the best that we've got. And I think the important thing is to have two-step authentication mm. so that you've, you're logging in to your computer and then it sends the SMS to your other device 
So you've got the two points of kind of physical contact. Um, so whatever the whatever the uses are, whatever the security protections, I think two is better than one, and that we have to keep updating them to to meet um, to protect against the people who would who would um, break them. Okay. And how can we combine these methods to better pro improve our access to our data while still keeping others out? Wow, that's the big question. <laughs> that's the big one. If you could, if you could come up with the answer to that, then uh, people would pay you a lot of money. I don't know the answer to that. The that's the with the 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 fight I fight every day, or the balance that I seek to. Um, to get in, in my work as a privacy officer is making things usable, making it easy, making it quick, making it online versus making it secure. So what is the trade-off? And really have to look at every every use in context and say, is this acceptable? And so um, for convenience, we're prepared to give up. As I was talking about, I don't mind if companies find out my email account, but I don't really want them finding out my home address, so that it, that's where I draw the line. But when I'm at work, I think about other how other people would draw the line in certain right. situations. Which methods of security do you use on a frequent basis? Um, well, I use two-step authentication at home and I use strong passwords. I think that's a really important um way of protecting yourself is having not using a word that's in the dictionary okay. and okay. having some symbols I mean that's the uh, is an important way having eight characters I think eight eight is a bit of a magic number anything under that is no good but particularly having a word that's just a word out of the dictionary you've really got to swap out some of those letters for numbers and or use the capital letters from a sentence like uh I always forget my password, use the capital, the first letter of every word and change some to numbers and symbols. So pass, password um, strength is really important. But I just think that there are simple things that to protect yourself and it's really about behavioural as well as technical um, controls. I think one of the most basic ones is People still do this. They say, I'm going away on holiday and here I am having fun in Mexico when they'd published their home address. Mm. And so it, it just seems to me that you're saying um, any burglar that's out there, a friend of a friend of a friend, you can see that yeah. I'm not at home. Yeah. I'm far, far away and um, so you can break into my house. So that, that kind of, I mean, it's, call it common sense, I guess, but um, I hate to use that word. But, yeah, any it, making sure the antivirus is kept up to date. Don't click on emails that you don't know who they're from. Definitely. And don't give in to a sense of greed or urgency when people send you weird emails. Mm. That's what protects you. Yes. That will conclude this episode of Exposed on Authentication. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time.